Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Back Night Report. We go live every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and check in on the world of golf to bring you the latest news, insights, analysis, interviews, recaps, previews. Hey, we cover anything and everything golf. In other words, if it happened in golf, or will it happen in golf, we'll have it for you. My name is Carlos Torres. Every week, I'm alongside my co-host, Fred Alvader. Fred, hi, how are you today? Carlos, as you know, I'm here in Orlando for the PGA Merchandise Show this week. It's the granddaddy of all golf shows with over 40,000 attendees, 1,000 media outlets. you got people here from 80 different countries, all 50 states, reporting on the new golf products and information every golfer wants to know about. Yesterday at a vendor day out at Lake Nona, we learned about a new and exciting way to get real-time swing data on your personal phone, plus new products from Tour Edge and other golf equipment companies that's going to be available this year at your favorite golf retailer. But we're going to talk about all that later in the show in the practice range. This week in golf, Lee Westwood won in Abu Dhabi. Gabby Lopez survived a seven-hole playoff at the Diamond Resorts Interpretational right down the road here, right down the street here in Orlando. Tiger will tee it up this week in San Diego. That should be fun. We have a ton of golf to talk about tonight, Carlos. So let's go. I just hope we have enough time because there is definitely it, a lot to talk about. <laughs> I, I was telling I know, my I know wife you'll have about a, an hour. I do. It's a I got I got stuff, man. I got a lot of stuff to talk about. It's going to take time. Well, let's get right to it with the weekend backspin where we recap the weekend's action. And let's start with the PGA Tour where Andrew Landry, interestingly enough, at one stage he had a six-shot lead during the final round. And there you say, okay, I mean, let's just change the channel, the turn of victory, look to be in the back. However... Then he made three consecutive bogeys from 13 to the third 15. And Abraham Answer, who had produced a scintillating 63, then that lead was down to zero with three holes remaining. And you know what happens on those last three holes at the PGA West. I mean, that is just disaster what's coming. And even uh, Andrew admitted after the tournament, he said, you know, it's hard when you have a big lead because – then you kind of start playing a little defensive. And then he added to that that instead of playing defensive, you need to be playing more aggressively and just keep hitting the shots that you need to. But Landry then took hold of the intimidating last three, playing them in two under to secure a two-stroke victory. And his for his second PGA Tour title in 80 events. And the first since the 2018 Valero Texas Open, 48 starts ago. You know, those final two holes at PGA West are synonymous with disaster thanks to the alarming presence of water on both holes. However, Landry seems to show nerves of steel to birdie both. The shot into the part 317th in particular, that is nerve-wracking given the green is completely surrounded by water. Two years ago, Landry had lost to John Ram in a playoff here in Palm Springs and later that season, that's when he nudged that first PGA Tour victory at the Valero Texas Open. But last season, then Landry took a step back, finished 96th on the FedEx Cup points list. After missing six of seven cuts this last fall, Landry put some hard work in this winter in an attempt to, 
turn things around. Seems like he did, even though after he got sick shortly before last week's Sony Open and missed another cut, he hung tough here, playing his way into a cold 54-hole lead with Scotty Scheffler there in the Southern Cal Desert. desert. And he was grouped with Scheffler and with fan favorite Ricky Fowler on Sunday, and then he reverted to a frosty tactic. While Fowler shot 71, and Landry's closing 67 was enough to get the job done, even if it wasn't the prettiest of back nines. Not that Landry cares about appearances. I mean, he's never paid much attention to outside noise. As a junior player, he was lightly recruited, maybe because of his size. He's just five foot seven, and he became a three-time All-American at the University of, of Arkansas. During one tournament at UCLA, Landry was paired with Coastal Carolina stud Dustin Johnson. And, you know, what happened? He, he lost. But years, years later, Landry found himself grouped with Johnson again, only in the final third round group at the 2016 U.S. Open at Oakmont, where Landry tied for 15 in his coming out party on the big stage. You know, Dustin won. A lot has changed for Landry since then, but that chip on the shoulder meddled about whether he wants it bad enough has remained. But Fred, I can tell you that on Sunday, just when it looked like Landry didn't want it bad enough, he proved to everyone with that tough shot on a tough hole that he really did and came up big and won there in a very, very tough finish. Yeah, I thought he was thrown away. I uh, got to watch some of that on Sunday, and uh, he really did struggle. Uh, but those birdies on 17 and 18, those were uh, those were pretty cool. The one on 18, he didn't really have to have. Par would do it, but uh, still rolled the putt in anyhow. Abraham Answer, uh, Scotty Scheffler played really well. Abraham Answer especially made a good run on Sunday. Um, low scoring, we talked about it last week there at PGA West. Uh, the cut came at minus nine. There was no wind. It was perfect conditions in the desert in Southern California, so they were just tearing those places up. Uh, no joy for Ricky on Sunday once again. Carded low scores in the first two rounds, but a 70 and a 71 on the weekend. Not going to cut it at PGA West. Phil didn't make the cut, even the tournament host. No love there. They kicked him out. Didn't let him play on Sunday. Charlie Howell, Thurold, third, Pat Kazir, they all missed the cut as well. Another bad tournament for Ash K. Batia, the 17-year-old who got in on sponsor exemption, hasn't made a cut yet on the PGA Tour, missed yet again. I think he should have stayed amateur a little bit longer, Carlos. He's making a big mistake. Too late now. He's got to figure it out. A couple of names haven't been heard from much lately. Zach Blair and Jason Duffner both ended up T55, so they made some cuts, made a little bit of money. Johnny Ha, who uh, I think we talked about last week a little bit, playing on a medical exemption, trying to get back on tour, was T48, so he made a few bucks. Sebastian Munoz continued his good play with a T21. Uh, Also, kind of interesting, at the American Express this week, in the Pro-Am section, amateur uh, Laurent Hurtbees, who was born with only one arm, his left arm, he doesn't have a right arm, hit the shot of the day on Thursday, uh, made a hole in one at the 151-yard fourth hole at PGA West Stadium Course. Hole in one on PGA, one of the hardest golf courses in the world, PGA West Stadium Course, makes a hole in one, uh, just a, a one-arm golfer. That's, uh, that's an inspiration. 
Both pros in his group were impressed with his play all day long. His playing partner, Troy Merritt, was more excited for, for her, her to breeze than he was for himself. Uh, that was the coolest experience I've had on the golf course, Merritt said. The other pro in the group, Greg Charles, a lefty himself, said it was just one of several incredible shots throughout the entire round. He hit this nice shot. It was a little bit of a cut for a lefty. Right away, it said, oh, just sit down. It was one of those shots where you always thought, hang on, this could go in here. And uh, Hurt Beast, when he, uh, growing up, he played sports uh, for, as a way for him to fit in because he was born uh, with no right arm. As a kid, sports was a way for me to prove that even though I had difference, that I could perform as well as normal people. People have differences and handicaps and whatever, but it was my way to prove that I could be as good as everybody else. Play hockey and baseball, but golf became his favorite sport when he turned 11. He takes a full one-handed lefty swing that can produce drives of about 230 yards. That's pretty good, Carlos. He is an inspiration. That's very cool to see. Don't know if you saw that or not, but I was pretty impressed with that. Definitely. It's really tough, especially in a tough course. Definitely an inspiration for anyone out there, especially if you have two hands and two arms, man, you you better you better watch out. You better get yourself inspired to play better. Let's talk about the European tour now where Lee Westwood, man, he shot a final round sixty seven to win the Abu Dhabi HSBC championship. He did it by two strokes from Victor Perez as well as his fellow Englishman, Tim, Tommy Fleetwood and Matthew Fitzpatrick. In the process, Lee, who is now 46 years old, he won his 25th European Tour title. He earned also the honor of winning an event in four different decades, which is a testament to his consistency at the top of the game. I mean, he looked imperious all day as five birdies, through the 15 holes, gave him a two-shot lead, leading to those last three holes. It was his 44th worldwide win, and it means now he has won European Tour titles in the 1990s, the 2000s, the 2010s, and the 2020s, four decades. He bogeyed the 16th to give the chasing pack hope. However, he routinely parred that 17th and played the 18th perfectly to set up a simple two-putt birdie for the win. Then they asked him, hey, would you play in another Ryder Cup? He said, no, I would play at Whistling Straits if I qualify, but I don't want to pick. He was a vice captain, you might remember, at the 2018 Ryder Cup at Lake Golf National. He didn't make the team that time after playing at Hazeltine in 2016, which was his 10th appearance for Team Europe. And after Paris, it looked like he may stay on the captain, vice captain side of things. But he has won now two Rolex Series titles since then, and he's all the way up to 29th in the world. So he's knocking on the door of making it as a player. So watch out. Lee was with one, uh, the rounding of the top 10, Tommy Fleetwood, Victor Perez, and Matthew Fitzpatrick were tied for second. Louis Heisen finished T5. Ross Fisher and Sean Norris were T6. Then tied for eight were Bern Beesberger, Martin Keimer, Sergio Garcia, and Scotty Jamieson, Fred. Yeah, uh, kind of a blast from the past with uh, Lee Westwood, 46 years old, winning over uh, Perez, Fleetwood, and Fitzpatrick. 
uh, I mean, that's a big tournament. It's a, it's a Rolex series deal, so uh, good money and a lot of points. Uh, yeah. Um, did you see, though, that uh, he uh, decided uh, he's, he's going dry in January and he's abstaining? You know, Lee's been known to drink a beer or two, but he's abstaining from Corona for the month of January. So his, he said his celebration was going to be uh, maybe a little difficult uh, sans alcohol. Um, do you remember when Lee Westwood was number one way back like 10 years ago? He dethroned Tiger Woods in 2010. He finished second at both the Masters and the Open Championship. He won America for his second time, helped Europe to win the victory at the Ryder Cup at Celtic Manor. But maybe his most impressive achievement came later that year when he was became number one and ended Tiger's 281-week reign at the top of the uh, charts. Westwood's first stint lasted 17 weeks. He dropped down, and then he had a, a good spring and came back, and it was number one again for another five weeks before Luke Donald took over, and then Luke was number one for about a year. Um, he's, you know, Westwood's been a solid player for a long time, but his days of winning several events annually seem to be long gone. At 46 years old, he's enjoying a renaissance of sorts with a win at the 2018 Ned Bank and now this win just a little over a year later in Abu Dhabi. So it's his 25th win on the European Tour. He ranks eighth in career wins on that tour. He has been a solid Ryder Cup competitor on 10 teams with seven of those winning the Cup from the Americans. He thought his days of being on the European Ryder Cup team were over. But if he continues to play at this level, he may just find himself at Whistling Straits, Carlos, this fall wearing that European blue. Bryson DeChambeau missed the cut. Too much talk about Brooks's abs, I guess. Brooks, um, two good rounds, one so-so, one poor 75, ended up T34. Not a bad comeback, though, for being off, and he's going to be ready to go in Saudi Arabia next week. So, Carlos, that's all I got for you on the European Tour this week. Very good tournament, very good field there. Now let's move on to talk about the ladies on the LPGA that were a gutsy Gabby Lopez. She poured in a 25-foot birdie putt on the seventh playoff hole to claim the season opening Diamond Resorts Tournament of Champions. The 197-yard part three 18th proved a beast of a hole all week long. There were only six birdies recorded among all the LPGA players. Lopez was responsible for three of them. What started out as a three-way playoff with the LPGA Hall of Famer in Bay Park, Nasa Hataoka and Lopez, was whittled down to two once the darkness fell at the Tranquilo Golf Course. Floodlights and a jumbotron lit up the green as fans were chanting, one more hole, one more hole. No way. <laughs> they were not going to play it. Ultimately, Hataoka and Lopez had to come back on a chilly Monday morning to resume play. Temperatures had dipped to the 40s. Lopez birdie the 18th in regulation to cap off at 66 and make her way into the playoff. The changing conditions there had her switching between a three hybrid and a four hybrid throughout the whole evening. By Monday morning, however, Lopez said that she had the distance worked out precisely with the help of her caddy, coach, and trackman. Yes, I said it, trackman. She even backed off a bit 
behind the tee markers on the seventh play of hole, he struck a three hybrid exactly as she designed it. After matching pars on the first six play of holes, Lopez poured in a first birdie on a putt she'd seen several times before. Hataoka had a chance to match it from only 12 feet. It was half the distance that Gabby did it, but she missed it left so badly it never had a chance. She knew it all the way. It marked the fourth longest sudden death playoff in tour history, matching the 2004 LPGA Takefuji Classic where Krista Kerr defeated Sol and John. The longest sudden playoff uh, came at 1972 Corpus Christi Civitan Open when Joan Practice Prentice defeated Sandra Palmer and Kathy Whitworth in 10 holes. Fred, as an interesting take, uh, when Golf Channel's Jerry Falls asked Gabby if she was glad, you know, you don't have to see Tranquilo's 18th hole for another 52 weeks, then she said, she smiled and said, no, I do have a feeling for this hole. Course, Fred. It made her a winner once more. I would love to see it again. Yeah, you know, uh, that's great. Gabby Lopez winning uh, uh, there. Uh, we just saw her on the Symmetra Tour a year or so ago, and now she's winning on the, uh, on the big tour. Uh, the big story here, though, Carlos, at this event was uh, Indy Park. She led after 54 holes. She couldn't quite hold off uh, Lopez and Hataoka on Sunday, and then she slipped out of the playoff after the first hole or so. But she says she has a goal of making it back to the Olympics later this year. And that is one tough task with the list of South Korean women that are competing for those spots. If NB's motivated, she might just run off a few wins and make the team easily, though, especially if she is playing this well this early in the year. Um yeah, the long playoff, five holes. Uh, they ran out of uh, light on uh, on Sunday. They had to go back Monday morning and finish it. Um, Carlos, I got a question for you. You think you think Indy Park can really make the South Korean team with Olympic team with all that those great golfers ahead of her? She definitely can can do it, and I would not doubt that. I mean, that's the same. She this time is saying, "I want to make it." So it's different from four years ago when she was just like backpedaling and trying to keep herself in shape enough to make it. She did, but this time it's like, I want to make it. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet against her. If she's focused and she's going to be playing consistently, of course, her health is going to be key here, which has been her problems the past few years. But if she's healthy and she's focused, like she showed that she can play, Hey, I, I wouldn't doubt her. I think she can make it. Definitely. Well, she was nursing that hand injury, remember, four years ago, and she had to take some time off, and, you know, she was playing through pain, even though that, uh, you know, even when she won the Olympics, it was she wasn't 100%. But, uh, yeah, I, she seems, and if she's dedicated and practicing and working, uh, with that putting stroke she's got, I, I, I wouldn't bet against her. Um, part of the, this Diamond International invitation, too, is the uh, celebrity part, Former Atlanta Braves pitcher and current Major League Baseball commentator John Smoltz won his second consecutive Diamond Resorts Invitational Amateur title last weekend by nine shots over Marty Fish. Blair O'Neill, who is six months pregnant, finished sixth. Other celebrity names, Justin Verlander, Larry Fitzgerald, NASCAR's Danny Hamlin, Yvonne Rodriguez, Greg Maddox, Roger Clemens, they were all in the field uh, on down the uh, leaderboard there for the uh, 
amateurs. But uh, from everybody that I talked to and saw, uh, everybody had a great time there. The amateurs do a good job. It's kind of a nice way to open the season. It's kind of like uh, the LPGA's version of, uh, of Pebble Beach, the ATT National Pro-Am, uh, and it gets the season off right. Uh, so uh, I, I like it. It's a nice event, kind of laid back, um, good for them, good start, good win for Gabby Lopez. Definitely a good win, a good showing, very gutsy from her to show how she was able to survive against one of the best players in the world. Nasa Hataoka, when she's on also, I mean, she can win anywhere and against anybody. So great win for Gabby Lopez. I know it was a reduced field, but it was a world-class field anyway. Now, I got to ask you, what is better than a victory cigar in Hawaii? I, I don't smoke, but they say that it's like, <laughs> oh, my God, the, the best Well, the a little world. glass of Scott, but, a little glass of single malt along with it would go, but I know uh, – MAJ, he likes his claret, but uh, a little, little yeah. scotch along with that cigar, that would go pretty good. And then a, a trophy along with all that, that's even better, Carlos. That was what the golf's most interesting man, Miguel Angel Jimenez, did after he made a clutch 12-foot birdie putt on the second hold of a playoff on Saturday night, taking down the one that we thought was going to win there, Ernie Els, in one the Mitsubishi Electric Championship at Walleye, which is the season opener for the PGA Tour champions. Freddie Kopals was in that playoff, but he made a bogey in the first playoff hole, which dropped him out of the mix. Then Jimenez said, you know, earlier, Jimenez had said to his caddy, he told him this, the winning score is going to be 15 under par, and we need to hurry up and make birdies. He then went on to make clutch birdies on the holes 13, 14, and 15, got into contention, got him into the playoff, and won it. So Jimenez, who's now 56 years old, has won in each of his seven seasons on the senior tour, nine victories total, uh, including a previous one here at Hualalai in 2015. Fred, the PGA Tour champions, is going to be off again until January 30th to the February 1st at the Morocco champions at the Sema Golf Club in Marrakech in Morocco. But it was a great start from Miguel Angel Jimenez and a good first showing for Ernie Els. Yeah, going from Hawaii off a couple of weeks, going over to Morocco, uh, the Champions Tour is becoming a world a world golf tour for him. But yeah, Miguel Angel, he just continues to win. Really kind of surprising. He came from, from back a few shots with Els and couples at the top of the leaderboard, and then Longer, Longer really blew it. Uh, he kind of blew up on, on, uh, on Sunday. He kind of had problems with the lava there, got hung up in some tall grass, and uh, just uh, it, it was ugly there for a little bit. Um, they, uh, it was very windy uh, at the seaside golf course there in Hawaii. Uh, it's carved out of the dark lava. It's very beautiful. you got the green grass against the, the almost black lava flows that uh, go through the course. Uh, it, is, it is quite beautiful, but uh, with the wind up, uh, the waves crashing off the ocean there, it, it was really something. You had uh, Freddie Couples and Ernie Els battling along with Longer, and then you got Miguel Angel, Angel coming from behind, uh, moving up the leaderboard. Uh, made a lot of fun on the back nine on Sunday. Um, Miguel Angel was paired with Couples in the uh, second-to-last group, and as you say, made the birdies of 13, 14, and 15 to get to 567, which tied with both Ernie Els and Couples. So Miguel Angel now has nine victories on the PGA Tour Champions. This is second time in Hualalai, uh, seventh season on the tour, and he's won at least one event in every year. So he's just being very consistent. 
Uh, as you say, this was Ernie's first Champions Tour event. Started out slow on Friday with a 72, but followed with a pair of 65s on the weekend. He said he wants to get his game right and compete on the Champions Tour on a regular basis. If his game is not 100% right now and he comes in runner-up, the old guys better be satisfied to play for second because else can get around the golf course when he's going even at 50 years old. Freddie had a great start to the year, but who knows how long his back or his focus are on playing golf will last. He never seems to get too excited about exerting himself out there, and you may see him this week and not see him again for a couple months. So got to enjoy it when he's out there. When, he, when he's right, Freddie can play with anybody. He's always fun to watch. Carlos, back to you. I just wish that back of his would hold up a little more so he can show us a little about that greatness that he has. Boom, boom, Freddie. Hey, let's talk about the Asian tour. Matt Kutcher. Who would know? I mean, he survived a nightmare on the front nine before claiming a three-shot victory over former world number one Justin Rose in his maiden appearance at the Singapore Open. On Sunday, he dropped a triple bogey but displayed tremendous resilience to Carter one under par 70 for a winning total of 18 under. Kutch extended his overnight lead to four shots before running into serious trouble on the par 5 7th hole. His tee shot hit the root of a tree and he missed the ball in his first attempt to get it out from the tree. Compounding his woes, his approach shot flew left of the green and went out of bounds. But Kutch steadied his round with three birdies in his back nine to win the tournament that was co-sanctioned Aviation Tour and the Japan Golf Tour organization. Justin Rose, he mounted a late charge on the back nine. He sinked four birdies in six holes from the 11th, but his 67 was not enough to overtake Kutch. Just Janewatananan's title defense we did not materialize, and the tie finished at third at 14 under. He closed with a 71. The Korean team, Yohyun Kim, signed for an identical round to finish fourth and earn a place at the British Open at Royal St. George later in July. Richard Lee finished fifth with an aggregate of 12 under, one shot ahead of Pum Saskansing and Yosuke Kinoshita. The trio also booked their place at the world's oldest major. And Fred, your take on this and on a player with one of the most unique swings on the world, Hoseong (laughs) Shonen. I got a little bit on that, yeah. Uh, you knew I'd cover that, didn't you? Um, yeah, the problems with the little tree trunk there uh, set Kuchar back just a few shots on Sunday, but uh, overcame the triple bogey uh, at Sentosa Golf Club to collect the win. Um, he was leading by three shots. Uh, then he uh, ended up tied there, but ended up pulling back. Um, yeah, let's host on Choi. Um, during the second round on Friday, um, He's kind of known, you know, Choi's known for his very unorthodox and exaggerated follow-throughs. He accidentally hit another player in his group when his driver slipped out of his hands. Uh, Choi, Choi burst onto the golf scene a couple of years ago with a win in Japan and was given a couple sponsors' invites to, to PGA events, tour events here in the United States. His antics are not always appreciated by his playing companions, and I doubt very seriously if his playing partner wants to were too excited about being hit by a flying driver. 
So, uh, Carlos, this is definitely not the way to uh, win friends and influence people by throwing your driver and hitting your playing partner. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just <laughs> yeah. remember saying yeah. it. And, uh, <laughs> I yeah. don't know when he didn't. He didn't. You knew, you knew I'd talk. You knew I'd talk about that. <laughs> yeah, that, that's why I left it to you. I said like, I had to leave Fred because I know how much you admire his swing. I, and, oh, I uh, do. I said, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that. I mean, you know that. That's all for show. There is no way he just does that to get his attention. That, there's just no way that that. How that, does he win? Ridiculous. How does he win? I don't. He well, what's what's he won once? <laughs> no, he he's won the fourth time, so he he's he's played pretty good there. But he's played pretty good there, not here. Anyway, yeah. tell us about yeah. the Cornbury Tour and the Latin America Tour. Amateur. Well, you know, uh, Tommy Ganey, remember him? Two gloves, Tommy. Two gloves. He finally got a win. Uh, it was a Wednesday finish last week uh, with the great eczema on the uh, Corn Ferry Tour. Um, you know, he's had other things on his mind lately, like an arrest for solicitation. But uh, he did overcome his off-course maladies to get his first professional win. Um, this is the first official event of the year on the Corn Ferry Tour. And really sets him up nicely now with just a couple more good finishes. He should uh, get his PGA Tour card back. Since 2007, he's been around that long. I, I just that blew my mind when I looked at that today. Uh, he's won over five million dollars in prize money on the PGA Tour without a win. Over the past five years, though, he's won a grand total of 180 thousand. In just 36 starts, he made just 11 cuts uh, over the last five years. He lost his card in 2014, so he's been only been able to get on sponsors exemptions and a few tournaments here and there. It's been a pretty lean stretch for uh, for Tommy Two Gloves. Uh, Ganey card a final round 69 to finish at 11 under par, four strokes clear of John Oda and Dylan Wu. He dedicated his win to his wife and child. Uh, now a winner, like I say, good for him. Should be back to uh, PGA Tour in 2021. Um, he did experience a small setback uh, last December when he was caught on camera in a sting operation soliciting a prostitute. And all 124 guys were arrested, and Ganey was set free pending trial for a misdemeanor on a $500 bail. Um, Carlos, it's not about the bad hole. It's, uh, it's what you do on the next hole. Tommy's bounce back from his diversity was impressive. Impressive. Um, Latin American amateur, yeah, that's a big deal. Abel Gallegos, a 17-year-old from a small town in Argentina, with only a nine-hole golf course, won the Latin American Amateur to earn a trip to Augusta National for the Masters and the Open Championship as well. Gallegos is six foot three, hits it long with 125 plus mile per hour club head speed. 17 years old, six foot three, swings at 125 miles an hour. Wow, that must be fun. Gallegos was one of eight Argentinians in the field and overcame a two-shot deficit with a final round 467 to win by four shots. It was the first attempt at winning the LAC for Gallegos. He couldn't sleep Saturday night before the final round, a little nervous. They played at uh, Mexico at the El Camaleon Golf Club in Playa del Carmen, 
the same course the PGA Tour uses for the Mayakoba Classic. Quality field, uh, quality young guy. Remember the name, Carlos. I think we're going to be hearing much more from this young man in a, in a couple of years. And with that, we close the weekend backspin and move on to the four call where we will tell you about what's going to happen this week on all the major tours. Let's start with the PGA Tour, where the West Coast Swing continues on the PGA Tour with the Farmers Insurance Open. It is played in the Torrey Pines North and South courses with a total purse of $7.5 million and the winner taking home the chunk of $1.35 million. Tiger Woods, all eyes are on him. I don't know why, but he's making his 2020 debut at Torrey Pines, where he has won eight times as a pro. I mean, that's just kind of decent. That's kind of decent. Only, only. I don't know what the big yeah. deal. But anyway, yeah. uh, he shot 67 in the last round at Torrey Pines a year ago, which ended a streak of 13 consecutive rounds without breaking 70 on the north or or south courses. Woods needs one more PGA Tour victory to set the career record at 83, but during the press conference, he said, I don't have that in my mind. Yeah, right. He won the last time here in 2013, so it's been a while since he has won there at Torrey Pines. Roy McIlroy is also making his 2020 debut. His last PGA Tour start was a victory in the HSBC Champions in Shanghai. Might be a little rusty. That was a little while ago. A win would be enough to move him into the number one spot in the world. Justin Rose is defending his title after a runner-up finished last week in Singapore, so he's going to make the big leap all the way back there. At least it's just across the Pacific. Among the San Diego natives in the field are Sander Shoffley and Phil Mickelson. You know, the South Course is going to get another U.S. Open in 2021 next year, so uh, you can start to get a feel for it this weekend as you see it. And one more thing, Jordan Spieth will be making his debut this year. He was supposed to start at the Sunny Open, but then he withdrew on the weekend before the tournament. He had a mild illness. He's fully recovered now. And, Fred, here's my fearless prediction today, January 21st, 2020. <laughs> okay? And you can take that to the bank. I it's going to happen. I hear Bet anything I hear you want is going to happen. <laughs> he will make the Ryder Cup this year, and there won't even be a doubt about it. There was, it's not going to be uh, enough for, for discussion. You'll see it. He, he the way Jordan Spieth is, yeah, I don't know. He we'll said see. It's after it, so this, this is going to be the year. He's going to make it. He better figure out that driver then, because he's trying to hit it far and he's trying to overswing it, and he's missing it left big time. He's got to wait on that thing to come around. I don't know if they adjusted for wait, him wait or what. Wait until you see the adjustments that he made over the winter. Okay. So. I'll, I'll, I'm, 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 you know I'm going to be watching. I'm going to be watching that driver swing for sure because he just gets too quick and just gets ahead of that thing and pulls it left. And, man, you can, it's, it, that just kills him, that driver, because then he tries to put too much pressure on his irons and his putting. And he's such a good iron player and such a good putter. If he just gets the ball in the fairway, he's going to be in contention. So, you you could be if they if they fix his driving problems, Carlos. You you could be right, but uh, I mean he I know he's got the desire. I know he wants to do it. So 
Um, yeah, this is the best field of the year uh, at Torrey, uh, for sure. We don't have the number one, Brooks Kepka, but it's still a quality field. Torrey and the Jenison at Riviera is going to have the best fields of the West Coast Swing, for sure. Uh, two courses in play this week. The South, nearly 7,700 yards, par 72. 7.5 million, 1.35 million to the winner. Um, you got the North, of course, is the easy of the two courses. Everyone gets round, one round on the North. They must go low there to make the cut and have any chance of winning. Both the third and the fourth rounds are played exclusively on the South course. You got uh, some of the names in the field this week. You got John Rahm, got his first PGA Tour win here in 2017. Uh, Rory McIlroy is in the field with T5 last year here, his inaugural start in this event. Uh, Rose, um, of course, coming off the win. Uh, he led both the first uh, two rounds. Uh, Hideki, uh, Matsuyama's in the field, Xander Shoffley, Gary Woodland, Tony Finau, Cameron Smith, um, Colin Morikawa, Ryan Palmer's been playing good so far this year. Scotty Scheffler's been playing really well. Patrick Reed, we all know about Patrick. Uh, that should be exciting. Sunjay M has been playing well. You got Ricky in the field again. And, of course, Tiger freaking Woods. Oh, yeah, he's won here a few times in the past. You talked about it eight times, plus a U.S. Open in there on a broken leg. How is this for a star-studded event? This is the first really big event of 2020. Those are fun events in Hawaii. That was great. But this is where the rubber meets the road right now. you got the biggest names on one of the best courses. Beautiful weather in San Diego. Just doesn't get any better. So, are you going to bet against Tiger, Carlos? Uh, I know you're picking Jordan Spieth, but I don't know. I, You know, Tiger's been doing pretty good lately. He may just have one more time at Torrey in there. I'm not going to bet against him, but I, <clears throat> I'm i just saying, Jordan, watch out. He, Jordan, hey, I got you. I know you, you, you're going to make it this year. Anyway, <laughs> let's talk now about the other side of the pond, where the European Tour has the Omega Dubai Desert Classic that will be played at the Emirates Golf Club in Dubai in the UAE. And who's going to be playing there? There's an elite field also playing, led by the defending, the reigning champion, Bryson DeChambeau, who will begin his defense alongside Lee Westwood. And they're going to play together. Who Lee Westwood is trying to win <clears throat> secure back-to-back titles after winning last week at Abu Dhabi. Uh, DeChambeau, you might remember he swept to his maiden victory on the European Tour 12, 12 months ago at the Emirates Golf Club, finishing on 24 under par and seven shots clear of the nearest challenger, Matt Wallace. He will be teeing it off early there and will play with alongside with Westwood. And also joining him is 11-time winner on the European Tour, Henrik Stenson, who will begin his European Tour 2020 season in Dubai. Tommy Fleawood will be uh, heading up the following group of the tee shots there, fresh from his tights for second last week as he starts alongside the South African Louis Heisen, who comes from finishing fifth in Abu Dhabi, and also Matt Wallace will be in that uh, group. The Open champion uh, Shane Lowry is next out on the course. He will be playing in a group with former Masters Tournaments winners Sergio Garcia and Danny Willett. Francis Victor Perez and England's uh, Matthew Fitzpatrick will be paired together in the group starting shortly after 1230. And you might remember they finished 
joined second in Abu Dhabi, and they are joined by seven-time winner on the European Tour, Bernd Wiesberger. Amateur Joshua Hill, look out. This is a 15-year-old who made more headlines last week ahead of his European Tour debut by beating world number one Brooks Kepka in a nine-hole friendly. That was his highlight. He's going to be in the second group course with uh, Belgium's Thomas Dietrich and Japan's Masaharu Kawamura. Also, another name to follow there is the fellow amateur Jaden Trey Shaper. You might remember he played very well at the South African Open hosted by the city of Johannesburg. He was uh, impressive, uh, tied for sixth after leading after 54 holes. Uh, one more name that I'm going to throw out here that you have to check out is the debut of Shugo Imahira. He's set to make his Dubai debut at the Emirates Golf Club this week in just his second European Tour appearance outside of the WGCs and the majors following the 2017 Maybank Championship. He's a Japanese player, and he seems to be the next stop in the Japanese uh, Tour players. He's in the form of his life. He recorded two victories and three runner-ups on the Japan Golf Tour since September He has ascended to the 35th place in the official World Golf Ranking, and he will be joined in the field by rising Norwegian star Victor Hovland, who will also be making his maiden appearance at the tournament after winning his first Hero Challenge title in Abu Dhabi last week. week. So watch out for those names. And one more thing, uh, Fred, that they will be trying to make all of them there. This year's winner will be keen to try to see if they can follow that interesting trend that was in 2016 and 2017 when Danny Willett and Sergio Garcia respectively went to win there and then win the Masters their major championship titles at Augusta just months after winning the Omega oh Desert Classic so everybody's looking out to see who's going to win here but they will have to defeat a world class field this week yeah, always a good field there in Dubai It's now it's sitting in between Abu Dhabi and uh uh, the uh, other event there in uh, Saudi Arabia. So it uh, doesn't get quite the limelight here in the spring, but then they wrap up at the end of the year there in Dubai again. So uh, always a lot of great golf there. But, Carlos, you touched all the major points there, and I got nothing more for you um, on that. Okay, let's talk about the LPGA, uh, where they will be playing the Gamebridge LPGA at Boca Rio. This will be the inaugural edition of this event. They will play it at the Boca Rio Golf Club in Boca Raton, Florida. The purse is $2 million, and this will be the first full field event of the LPGA Tour's 70th season. The field includes six players in the top 10 of the Rolex rankings, number three, Nelly Corda, number four, Daniel King, number five, Nessa Hataoka, number six, Seyun Kim, number eight, Brooke Henderson, and number 10, Lexi Thompson. An interesting fact, this actually will be the tour's first ever event held on the East Coast of Florida. And Fred, the LPGA will return to the state for the inaugural Pelican Women's Open Championship outside of Tampa in May. So how about the first full field event on the LPGA? Yeah, you got uh, you got all these guys that you mentioned in the top 10. And then uh, from the European Ryder Cup team, you got Celine Boutier, uh, Carlotta Saganda, Ann Van Dam, Georgia Hall, Carolyn Headwall, Charlie Hall, Bronte Law, Carolyn Masson, Azahara Munoz, uh, Anna Nordquist, and Jody Hewitt Shadow. About the only one missing is uh, um, uh, her name just go went right out of my head to made the winning putt. Uh, 
anyhow, um, really strong European field came in here. Then Natalie Galbus and Madison Pressel were, were given sponsors exemptions into the field. And you got three sets of sisters. And Suzanne Pedersen, that's the name I was trying to think of. She's the only one from the, from the Solheim Cup team, European that's not in the field. So you got three sets of sisters in the field, the Pressels, the Cordes, and the Jutanagons, Aria and Maria. So uh, pretty good field uh, for the first full, full field event for the LPGA Tour. This year, the LPGA is playing for $75 million, a um, little, uh, little bit more than they played for back in 2010 or even back 70 years ago when they had the first LPGA Tour event. Um, you got the Olympics this year. You got the, uh, the, the UL International Crown. Uh, man, you, we got a lot of women's golf coming up this year, Carlos, and uh, this is just really getting started. All right, there's one more tournament, but this one actually started on Sunday. It's in the Corn Ferry Tour, the great Abaco Championship. Do you have anything on it uh, for us? Um, yeah, after uh, after 36 holes, you had uh, Mickey uh, DeMorat uh, birdied seven of the first nine holes on Monday's second round uh, at the Royal Blue Golf Course. Um, he was leading uh, two players, uh, uh, one player was a shot behind, and then you have uh, a couple players had to finish the round because it got too dark for them. And then you had uh, five players a couple shots back. So um, it's going to finish uh, on Wednesday. Today was the uh, third round, and they'll finish it up tomorrow. You can see it on the Golf Channel. Okay, with that, we wrap up our four call. And now you have some words for us from Boyne. You know, it's it's cold and snowy right now at Boyne Resort. I uh, just saw some pictures. My brother-in-law was up there skiing today on the mountains up there. But uh, they're offering hot deals for summer golf on their 10 golf courses, all by top-name designers. Uh, they have a course that will suit every player. All of them are great, a lot of fun. During the month of January, they're offering a 15% off Champions Golf Package stays in May 13th to June 20th. Great time up there to get going. Start your golf season off in luxury with a stay at the Inn at the Bay Harbor. It's a beautiful, beautiful old hotel. 18 holes of golf, including the Bay Harbor Golf Club courses, and breakfast for two each day. Don't forget, Boyne has three spas, plus a multitude of outdoor activities. Makes Boyne one of the premier vacation resorts in the country. Call 855-813-2109 to make your reservation or visit boing.com forward slash golf. That's B-O-Y-N-E, boing.com forward slash golf. Tell them back now report sent you. Carlos, back to you. All right. With that, we move on now to the Par 5 News where every week we pick five pieces of news, news worthy of mentioning. And the first one has to be, of course, that Jack Nicholas has turned 80. I mean, but he's not closer to retirement than when he was at the peak of his golf career. Can you imagine that? Never mind that he rarely competes, and he does. And when he does play the occasional round of golf, he doesn't always finish the hole. His shoulder is sore, but that's more from tennis, not from golf. He spends most of his time supporting his wife, Barbara, who has taken charge of the Nicholas Children's uh, Healthcare Foundation, he still has his hands in golf in about 10 golf courses his company is designing. The real measure of a golfing great who has been around for 80 years are really the conversations he keeps 
Everyone wants a piece of the golden bear. And he's all too happy to oblige, even though he's now more of the olden bear than the golden bear. He remains as relevant now as he was when he was winning his record 18 majors. The only time that he considered some form of retirement was long ago. He told a story once of always wanting to ski, but not while he was still competing. I mean, that seems smart. Long before Phil Mickelson broke his leg skiing and missed the 1994 Masters, or that David Duval injured his shoulder snowboarding. Nicholas thought he would wait until he was 35. So uh, Nicholas was uh, coming off victories in the 75 Masters, which was an epic battle against Johnny Miller and Tom Weisskopf, and the 1975 PGA Championship at Firestone. So he kept playing, adding another Claret Jug in St. Andrews 78, another double major season in 1980, and his famous 86 Masters when he was 46. Imagine if he had quit playing at that time. He would have been at 14 majors, and Tiger Woods would have passed him with that memorable Masters win last April. But now we still are counting to see if Tiger Woods can match him because he still has three to go. But that also keeps Nicholas relevant without having been playing in a major for 15 years. Uh, Fred, history is not on the side of Tiger turned 44 three weeks ago uh so he only six players older than woods have will have one majors no more than one each so still nicholas is still in the conversation and uh, the most important thing and one last thing that i want to tell is that charles Schwartzel, like about the subject of talking to him everyone everyone wanting to talk to him charles Schwartz came to talk to him about the masters in 2011 short time before he buried those last four holes to claim the green uh, jacket. Patrick Cantley met with him last year before winning the Memorial. And Cantley was with him again on a Saturday last fall, watching football and talking majors. And Nicholas told him how he never wanted to feel his game was in perfect shape on Thursday of a major. Rather, he wanted to play his way into his best golf as the weekend went on. And that resonated a long with Patrick Cantley, so uh, also Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, Dustin Johnson, Ricky Fowler. It's a long list. Most of them live in South Florida and are members of his Bears club, along with 30 other pros, and all of them have wanted to talk to him and know. But definitely, congratulations to Jack, and I know you have uh, something to tell about Jack, of course. Well, uh, yeah, you mentioned Tiger turning 44 and the odds are against him, but Tiger has been breaking records and setting new expectations, you know, ever since he was like three years old. So I, I'm not betting against him yet of, of still getting more majors than Jack. I, I think he will probably do it. He, he's got several more years to do it. And, and unless his health gets bad, his back continues to bother him, his legs, I think he'll get it done. But it is hard to believe that the Golden Bear turned 80 years old this week. Uh, of course, I grew up watching Jack win majors and dominate on the world golf stage. And the fact that he was from Ohio State University only added to his image in my eyes. Uh, Jack won his last major championship at the 1986 Masters with his son on the bag, a moment that no golfaholic will ever forget. Jack went on to build a successful golf course design business and is still involved in renovating and creating new courses today. We got to talk to Jack and see him at Reynolds Plantation a little bit earlier this year. Um, he's kind of hobbling around a little bit, doesn't get too far from a golf court or a chair, 
but uh, he's still very involved, uh, still very, uh, very into it, very uh, uh, mentally astute, and uh, he has a lot of people that work for him and do all the heavy lifting. But but Jack does. Uh, he, he's got his finger on it. He knows what's going on. Uh, nowadays, though, Jack and his wife Barbara are known more for their fundraising efforts to provide advanced medical care for children, especially in the Southeast Florida and Columbus, Ohio communities. The Memorial Tournament in Columbus has generated millions of dollars since 1976 for Nationwide Children's Hospital, and the Honda Classic in Palm Beach earns even more for children's hospitals in Florida. Jack Nicholas has become the elder statesman of golf, and when he speaks, a lot of people listen. Happy birthday, Jack. We hope, hope you have many, many more in the future. Definitely hope we can see a lot more from you and hear a lot more from you. Like you're saying, he will always have an answer for you. doesn't matter where you get a hold of him. He will have something to talk to you about. He will never turn you down. Hey, You know, you prefer, before, I, you, before you, want, you get away from there, Carlos, I, I, I do want to say um, – he is so engaging. I've gotten now to talk to him, you know, over the last six, seven years, you know, pretty much every year. Uh, I've gotten to talk to him a little bit one-on-one. Um, and he's, he's just so engaging to talk to. It, 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 it's, it, you know, especially for me who grew up watching him play and, and being from Ohio State. But also uh, Barbara is, is, is unbelievable. I, I was sitting uh, when, the, when the Champions Tour was at uh, – uh, Sayada Country Club for the U.S. Senior Open a few years ago. I was sitting in a, a press conference that Jack was doing about uh, junior golf there, and there was a lot of first tee kids there. And I was kind of sitting over to the side, just sitting by myself. And there were plenty of other chairs, but Barbara came in and sat right down beside me and started talking to me. You know, I just it just it just blows my mind. And but they're they really are wonderful people. Um, if you get a chance to be around them, they, they really are engaging. And, and uh, um, it, it just it, it's so surreal, Carlos, when I'm in those situations and, and doing that, uh, uh, cherish them a lot. Most definitely. Hey, let's talk about Phil, Phil Michelson, who's Tiger Woods' greatest rival in the past 30 years. He's building a home in Tigerstown, Jupiter Island. Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods have been linked since both turned pro in the 1990s. They have combined for 126 PGA Tour victories, including 20 majors. I mean, they have become such iconic rivals that a head-to-head match play challenge was set up in November in Las Vegas with a winner-take-all $9 million purse. So soon, if they want to get together to make, you know, that friendly wagers that Phil likes to do on the golf course, um, all they have to do is walk out of their front doors and boom, they can play. Mickelson closed on a lot in Jupiter Island where Woods lives on December 23rd. That's according to Golf Channel. will soon begin construction on a home. Mickelson said that the plan is for the family to move to South Florida in 2021 after his youngest child graduates from high school. Of course, Woods will not be Mickelson's only high-profile golf-playing neighbor. The area is home to eight of the top 22 players in the world, Brooks Kepka. Uh, is there, Roy McIlroy, Justin Thomas, Dustin Johnson, Patrick Cantley, uh, Gary Woodland, Ricky Fowler. Others in the area are Luke Donald, uh, Daniel Berger, and Keegan Bradley, all of Jupiter. So in addition, 
Jack Nicholas is in North Palm Beach. Gary Player is there in Jupiter. Greg Norman is in Jupiter. Nick Price is there. They have settled around the island along with Ernie Els. And, of course, Fred, <laughs> the most famous golfer in the world, Palm Beach resident President Donald Trump, frequently plays at one of his two courses in West Palm Beach or Jupiter. So he can even play with him. Yeah, the side games with uh, Phil and Ricky and Justin Thomas and a couple of the boys, they, they could be epic there uh, in the future. Um, he says, uh, however, he says he's going to keep playing the PGA Tour. He's not going to jump over to the, to the uh, Champions Tour just yet. As long as he's still hitting bombs, he's not going to move over to the Champions Tour. Carlos, uh, two of the most read articles I have ever wrote uh, were about Phil making noises back in 2013 after he won the Open Championship, hinting that he may have to move away from California. This was, this was uh, seven years ago because of the outrageous tax rates there. On top of the taxes he had to pay in Europe, plus U.S. federal income taxes, the state of California income tax was 12%. After it was all said and done, Phil paid over 60% in taxes on his earnings from the open. The kids are now grown, and his youngest will be out of high school soon. They're no longer tying the Nicholsons to Southern California. Florida doesn't have an income tax, and for someone like Phil that makes well over $20 million every year from endorsements and winnings, that means an extra $2.4 million in the bank account every year. A million here, a millionaire, pretty soon you're talking about real money, Carlos. With all the corporations that are leaving the state of California, pulling all of that potential tax revenue out, you see why they want tax dollars from amateurs on endorsements, Carlos. Quite honestly, I can't see how anyone can afford to live in California. It's a great place to visit, but I sure wouldn't want to live there. Oh, no, definitely, especially with the taxes. No way. Anyway, <laughs> let's talk now about Sarah E. Pack. She was responsible for inspiring a generation of Korean golfers who have become dominant force on the LPGA. And she did. Carla, she cut out there. I don't know if you can hear me or not, but I'm going to, I'm going to pick up here where you left off. Um, and we're going to talk about Sari Pack some more. Um, just like Tiger Woods started an interest in young guys in this country to play golf, uh, Sari Pack awakened hundreds of young South Korean women to take the game seriously. And look what she has spawned. From 1996 to 2016, when she retired, Sari Pack won 25 LPGA events and 15 Korean LPGA Tour titles. She single-handedly brought women's golf awareness to young South Korean women who now dominate women's golf around the world. And I should mention that five of those uh, 25 LPGA wins came in Toledo at now called the Marathon Classic. Then it was a Jamie Farr Classic. But uh, um, Sayri Pack is, is very well known in Toledo, Ohio, let me tell you. Four of the top 10 and eight of the top 20 women in the Rolex rankings are from Korea. Jin Young-ko dominated the LPG Tour last year, and there's no reason to believe that she won't do it again in 2020. 
We just saw Indy Park doing really well last week here in Orlando. Pack is now 42 years old and revered in South Korea as one of the country's all-time great athletes. She's done much for increasing the awareness of women's golf around the world, and we congratulate her on this great honor of, of the USGA's Bob Jones Award. Carlos, are you back by any chance? It doesn't look like we've got Carlos back just yet. Um, hang on one second here. Um, I'm going to move on to our next title, and when he comes back in, up. Oh, I think, uh, Carlos, are you back in? Nope, not yet. Well, let's talk about the next news item here tonight. Looking ahead to the Masters, are changes taking place at Augusta National? Well, aerial photos of the golf course are showing some, some kind of activity at the famous par 3 number 12 on Amen Corner. Plus, it appears a new longer tee for number 13 is in progress. You know, Bobby Jones always wanted the decision to attack the green in two at the 13th to be a momentous decision, as he's put it. Lately, with the Bombers hitting mid to short irons into 13, it's more of a longish par four for today's tour players. If they move the tee back 40 yards, making the corner on that sharp dogleg left, they'll need to hit a draw, a long iron, or hybrid into the 13th and it's going to make it a much more difficult shot for sure. Augusta National Chairman Fred Ridley said last year, it should come as no surprise to any of you that we continue to study other enhancements to the golf course. That includes much talked about changes, potential changes to the 13th hole. Ridley said that last April. Admittedly, that hole does not play as it was intended to play by Jones and Dr. Alistair McKenzie. The momentous decision that I've spoken about and the Bobby Jones often spoke about of going for the green two is to a large extent no longer relevant. While there's no hesitation on my part or historically on the part of Augusta National to make changes that are necessary, that's been observed through the years. Amen Corner is a sacred place in the world of golf. I'm hesitant to move too quickly in that regard. My preference, as I stated, would be to see what happens when the government bodies decide it's best for the game and then we'll take appropriate action. So, Gus National uh, is maybe not, uh, not as long as it used to be. It's maybe not as difficult for the tour players. But with the purchase from Augusta Country Club, they assured that additional length would be added to the 13th especially. Any changes to number 12, though, should be studied very carefully. It's one of the most wonderful par three holes ever designed. I would hate to see it altered in any way. And I think we've got Carlos back. And, Carlos, I kind of went through the Sayre pack that I had. I also talked about the Augusta story a little bit. So if you want to add anything to those, uh, jump right in there. Uh, it's okay. I just uh, you know, wanted to congratulate Sayre Pack because she definitely um, – when she came, I don't know where I got caught off, but anyway, when she came uh, to the States, she was just 20, no English. She just had the dream of becoming a, um, the world's best player, and she did it. I mean, 17 hours out of 24 hours a day, she was doing golf-related uh, 
activities, and he paid off. I mean, a, a great Hall of Fame career, and uh, she started a movement not only in South Korea but globally that changed golf, uh, golf internationally forever. So, uh, congratulations to her. There's really she's very deserving of that. So anyway, with that, then we'll wrap up our Part 5 news and now move on to our B.I.G. very important guest of the week. Uh, where Carl, we're gonna have... Carl, wait a minute. Wait, wait, yes. uh, time out. Go ahead. Uh, we got one more uh-huh. here. Um, we got the Sumatra Tour uh, and the uh, AJGA. Um, oh, okay. Here, yeah, the and... third time. I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead. Just... Yep. Yep. Go ahead for we it. We got you all out of kilter. <laughs> Getting dropped, yeah. we got you all out of kilter, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. Do you want me to start with that, or you got something you want to talk about? Yeah, no, go ahead. Go, no, go ahead. Get it. Get it. No problem. All right. Well, the uh, winners of the 2020 Annika Invitational USA presented by Rolex, Rolex um, is uh, plus the Buick Shan Shan Fang Girls Invitational and the KPMG Stacy Lewis Junior All Star Invitational are all going to qualify for Semestra Tour exemptions. Uh, the AJGA is, of course, the premier junior tournament series in the country. Junior golfers from around the world compete in AJGA sanctioned tournaments to gain recognition from college coaches who regularly attend AJGA events and follow tournament results carefully. For the Symmetric Tour to offer a spot in three of their tournaments to winners on the AJGA circuit is a big boost for women's golf and will only help prepare these young ladies for future success in golf. In addition, AGGA Women's Golf News, the um, Annika Invitational, Annika, uh, will continue to host this through 2025. They just announced it uh, today, actually. The, it's, uh, the Invitational is hosted by the American Junior Golf Association, and uh, its uh, invitations uh, are only extended to winners of uh, Annika's previous events held around the world. I think there's seven of them. Um, and this year it was just completed. Her invitational this year was just completed uh, on Sunday. Uh, Benedetta Moresco from uh, Caldonia, Vincenza, Italy, defeated Sadie Engelman from Austin, Texas by two shots uh, here in Florida to win this year's event. So, Congratulations to them. Annika put her, uh, her sponsorship uh, uh, up for another, uh, another five years for this AJG event, and Zamatra Tour is going to offer exemptions for three of their tournaments. Uh, really looking good for the AJGA, Young Girls, and the Zamatra um, Tour. Carlos? Now we'll wrap up the Bar 5 News and move on to our VAG, very important guest of the week, where we're going to be – well, Fred had a, an interview with Ryan Ballinger, who is right now the owner of the Golf News Net, uh, a website that he opened first in 2003, but uh, to host the 19th Golf, Co- Golf Show podcast, but has to reach over 600,000 people each month through their website, uh, podcast, and video delivery. Previously, he was also a managing director for Billy Casper Golf. Uh, he was a co-founder of Goodhood. He was uh, also a contributing writer to Golf Talk Central back in, the, uh, in Golf Channel from November 2010 to 2012. So, Fred, tell us what you talked about with uh, Ryan before we play that interview. 
Well, we were out at Lake Nona yesterday to a big vendor day out there, uh, really hosted by Tour Edge. And um, uh, so Ryan was there, and we just chatted real briefly about the PGA show and, and what he was looking forward to seeing and, and what he gets out of the PGA show every year. Carlos? We're here at Lake Nona, just outside of Orlando, Florida. We're talking with Ryan Ballingy, who uh, Golf News Net. You're looking for a great way to get golf information, news, updates on equipment, pretty much anything golf. Ryan's got it. We're going to be going to the golf show this week, the PGA Golf Show here in Orlando. How many years have you been coming down here? Probably about 10 now, Yeah. on and off. So you've seen it all, the good, the bad, the ugly. What brings you back to PGA Show every year? Honestly, it's the people uh, more than anything else. I mean, the the product life cycle in in golf nowadays, especially on the equipment side, is uh, is pretty well known, and a lot of the stuff kind of comes out before we ever get here. So, coming here is an opportunity to kind of see some products that maybe you've heard about or you've written about uh, for the first time, and then you can connect with a lot of people who are either making those products or making key decisions in how they're marketed to golfers or consumers, and also to get to spend time with people that also work in this line of work with me. Uh, I mean, that's, I get to see people like you, I get to see maybe once or twice a year otherwise, and uh, this is a good little regathering of, of people I love to see. You spend a lot of time doing reviews on equipment, looking at equipment, testing it, trying it out. What's one or two pieces of equipment you've seen in the last year that really caught your eye that, that you thought, oh yeah, this is really something good? So I have the uh, the Cobra King Speed Zone in my bag, just put it in the bag, actually, this is be the second round today with it. Cool. Uh, I love, I've played Cobra drivers for the last four or five years. Uh, for whatever reason, they work for me. I'm a lower spin player, and I can dial it in pretty well. Uh, I've picked up a couple of extra yards with the speed zone over even the F8 Plus, which I've been playing before. And I'm starting to kind of get in my later 30s now, so I'm starting to, I'm, I'm past the peak. <laughs> yeah, you're it's, really old. It, it, <laughs> not saying I'm old, but it's not getting any longer. It's not, so to kind of preserve that for a little bit longer is, uh, is great to see. And then, I, I mean, there's just so much in the technology space now that continues to get better, uh, whether it's with ShotScope or whether it's with other companies that, I mean, in the GPS world or in the laser world. It, it just seems to get a little bit better every time. It makes it a little bit more convenient. If you're a you know, regular golfer goes out on the weekend and goes playing, you can have an enjoyable experience on the golf course and maybe speed up a little bit. Is there one thing that you're looking forward to looking at or checking out this week? I always try to look for something on the show floor that I don't know about. Because, like I said, most of the time when we come here, we've gotten 35 press releases about various things that are right. coming out or have already come out, and they're wonderful products, but I want to find some that I haven't found out about yet. So I'll either look for something in the apparel space or even just a little gadget, training aid, just something that maybe people don't know about yet or, or someone that's put in the hard work and has plunked down the money to come here and exhibit a product in a small space that they believe in their idea. I, I want to check that out. And you make a good point. It's not cheap to come to the PGA show for a vendor. Yeah, if you come here, you're, you're, you're betting on yourself, especially if you're not a big-name company. So if you're coming here, you've spent a lot of time and energy to make a product, uh, to, to exhibit it on the show floor for the, the golf world to see, I, I think that deserves some respect. Ryan Ballinger, GolfNewsNet.com. Check it out. Uh, you'll like it. Ryan, thanks a lot. Thanks, Brad. Appreciate it. Okay, that was Ryan Ballinger on our VIG. So, Fred, before we move on to our practice range where you're going to talk to us all that you have, I hope you finish in less than an hour about the PGA show. <laughs> Anything else you want to add about what Ryan was talking 
No, uh, he makes a really good point, though. Um, and for me, it, it, I, I have to agree. Uh, one of the big things about coming down here every year is, is seeing the people. Um, there are a few guys in the media that we work with over the course of the year and do different things with. And uh, so it's always great to see them. Uh, a few of the contributors that we have for the Ohio Golf Journal, uh, we don't get to see them that often. They're here, and so it's always great to connect with them. And then also to meet some of the vendors and potential advertisers for the magazines uh, down here, uh, that's always good for us. So it's a lot about the people and talking to people. Uh, I met with uh, one of the uh, USGA executive today and uh, talked to him about some different things and, and uh, maybe uh, things that may happen in the future. And so that was a pretty interesting conversation. Um, so every, everybody's here, Carlos. Uh, you got all the major players in the golf industry in one location. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting to, to see and, and do. Uh, I think we've been down here now about six or seven times, and uh, uh, it's always just a little bit different every, every time we come down here. All right, so I'm going to get out of your way and let you talk uh, what you have to tell us about the PGA show that opened in Orlando. So tell us all about it. Yeah, let me let's talk just a little bit about the history, I guess. Uh, you know, I always I always like to talk about the history of stuff and 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 how it got to where it's at today. You know, the the merchandise show today, you've got over 40,000 people attending. You've got people from 80 countries. You've got people from every state in the union. Uh, you've got over 1,000 media people here. And you've got the Golf Channel set up a stage right on the show floor and broadcast, I don't know how many hours, 20-some hours or whatever, live coverage right from the floor show. So, uh, it, it, I mean, it's a big deal. But it wasn't always that way. In 1954, a handful of golf merchandisers assembled at PGA National Golf Club in the parking lot while some tournaments were going on and hawked uh, their products out of the trunks of their car. That's how this whole thing got started. Uh, By 1957, the number of manufacturers' reps had become so large, approximately 50, that the PGA officials leased a tent. So they, they upgraded from the trunk of their car to a tent by, uh, by 1957. Well, it continued to grow, and, and the Florida swing became something, uh, the golf tournaments here in Florida. And so it's kind of central to, around that. And, you know, the, the club pros up in the north would bring their members down here in the wintertime to play. And so uh, the, uh, the show was held at the Port St. Lucie uh, Country Club from 1964 to 1973. And then they went to PGA National Palm Beach Gardens. Um, and then the, they moved back to Port St. Lucie in a, in a big circus-sized tent. And it just continued to grow every year. And so finally, in 1975, uh, it was moved indoors for the first time. And um, they, uh, they moved it to PGA National uh, in Palm Beach Gardens, a mile from the former headquarters. So they continued to move to move, and they ended up coming to the Orange County Convention Center in 1985. Um, they quickly even filled that space to capacity, and so the Orange County Convention Center added more room. They added 200,000 square feet of room in 89, 
And so they doubled the size even by 1996 to 1.1 million square feet. And they, they build is 10 miles of aisles, and I, it probably is that. If you walk from one end to the other, it seems like it's a mile. Um, every aisle you go down, and there's, you know, like 10 or 12 aisles. I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's gigantic. Um, the PGA owned this, of course, and they sold a portion of it to Reed Exhibitions uh, in 1998. Uh, and uh, so Reed does the actual management of the show itself although the PGA still does own the major portion of it. Um, industry programs have been added. You can come and get the CE credits now. Um, you've got the demo day on Tuesday every year. Um, you just, it, you know, it, it's, it's a lot of different stuff, but it all started clear back in 1954 out of the trunks of some uh, golf vendors' cars in a parking lot. Well, the official PGA show began today, of course, with a demo day out at Orange Lake Country Club. And I have to tell you, it wasn't a very nice day. I mean, it was sunny, but it was very cold. Uh, it only got to be about 50-something today. And the wind was blowing about 25 miles an hour. So I can't imagine it was that nice out of Orange County today. I didn't, I didn't go out there. Um, but um, uh, I, 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 I feel for those people that were out there having to work today. Uh, you got a lot of club pros, a lot of general managers. Uh, during demo go, day, can go out there and see and feel and touch the new equipment that their members are going to want in 2020, and they're going to want to stock in their pro shops. Um, the 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 PGA show goes on all this week. Like I say, we started yesterday with a vendor day out at Lake Nona, hosted by Tour Edge. Today was the demo day. Uh, the the convention moves inside on uh, on Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Uh, the convention hall will be buzzing over here at Orange County uh, National. Pretty much all 40,000 attendees will be in there, especially tomorrow and Thursday. Friday, it gets a little light in the morning as guys uh, head back home or head to a golf course to get a round or two in before they have to go back to cold weather. Um, who, as I mentioned, you've got uh, 1,000 media members from all over. You've got the, the, the networks. You've got major magazines. Um, you know, you got a lot of uh, golf industry professionals from all over the world, general managers, club pros, any, any interested golfer that attends the show, they, they, they want to get a look at the newest golf products that's going to be available out there. Um, you've also got a lot of top-name golfers that come in to, uh, you know, their sponsors have them come in to meet and greet or put on a presentation. Uh, they talk golf. They hawk their sponsors' products. Uh, Annika is normally around here. Um, you may see Greg Norman, Bubba Watson, some other famous pro golfer walking around the aisle. I was walking down an aisle a couple of years ago, and Chi Chi Rodriguez was walking beside me. I struck up a conversation with him, talked to him for a few minutes. Um, as I mentioned, Golf Channel is, is on their own stage right there in the middle of the floor. Um, so as I mentioned, networking for me, it's, it's a very big thing. I get a chance to talk to a lot of people. We do a lot of interviews while we're here, especially for Back Nine Report TV. I'll probably tape some interviews that we'll use on uh, Back Nine Report uh, uh, down the road, Carlos, as we always do. Uh, but if you're in the golf industry, this is the place to be this week. Pretty much every mover and shaker is here, and millions of dollars of business is being transacted that will affect golf over the next 12 months. Carlos? What is the impact you think of having this show um, for the industry of uh, of golf? 
it's phenomenal. Um, you know, if you've got a product, if you've got a, especially a new product, I didn't mention a new product zone. I should mention that. That's always one of the hottest things that people want to look at. Um, you know, a couple of years ago when the new, uh, those new golf boards came out, those surfboards, um, I was here the first show they were at several years ago, and I walked in, I saw that thing, and I thought, oh, man, that's so cool. Um, so every year you can see all these new products in there. But if you've got a product that you want to sell you know, through golf shops, uh, through golf pros, uh, you want to reach golfers, um, they're here. And it's, I, I can't even imagine, Carlos, the millions of dollars of business that are done. Um, tailor-made, um, Titleist, uh, Shrixon, you know, all the major, Callaway, all the major equipment companies are here. They have gigantic displays uh, with, you know, meeting rooms in the, in the display area. And uh, guys go in there, they set their times, they go in there, and they buy their equipment for the year because of show specials and different things like that. So millions of dollars are being done at just, like, say, the TaylorMade booth alone. Then you have all the apparel companies, and it seems like about a third of the floor is taken up by apparel companies, and they're doing the same thing. Guys are going in there and buying the apparel that they're going to handle in their shops. Um, you know, these are not, I mean, this is not the golf galaxy of the world and dicks, but it's, it's your local PGA uh, golf shop at your golf course. And so, you know, these guys are, you know, putting in twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars in their golf shop of someone's line. But they're doing some apparel, they're doing some clubs, they're doing some shoes, um, you know, all this stuff. So um, then there's a whole section on golf travel, and you've got Scotland, you've got Ireland, you've got all the all the great travel destinations in the world, Dominican Republic that have displays. I want to talk to you about uh, bringing people down there or sending groups or coming to their area of the world for a golf trip. Um, there's all the equipment. There's golf carts. There's, uh, uh, you know, all, the, all those things on the floor. All, across the one end, there's uh, uh, actual hitting areas. So all the, uh, all the club manufacturers can have some clubs down there that you can go down. Even if you don't go to demo day, you can go down there and, and hit clubs if you want to uh, all day long. Uh, if, 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 you so, if you so feel it. There's a big stage. There's presentations going on all the time, uh, talking about different things of, uh, the, of going on in the golf industry, uh, different educational things. But, uh, Carlos, yeah, I, I'd hate to say, I, I couldn't even imagine how many millions of dollars of business are, is done here, but uh, it, it's gigantic. It's, it's very big. It seems like for many in the industry, is not only now a, an annual event. I mean, listening to you and to Ryan, it's really a must event on the calendar, right? It has grown and matured to be so much more, apparently, than a place to just meet vendors and buy merchandise for the upcoming new season, right? Uh, so many, many things. Uh, I guess you said over 40,000 people. So you must have already have all your uh, overall preparation prior to arriving in Orlando for what you're going to do because, you know, it's everybody in one space looking to find everybody else. It, it seems like a one very hectic golf marathon, right? But uh, many it, it, things that I can take out of this is, yeah, it seems like a, not only a networking event, but a place to learn new skills through the education seminars that you see there, uh, a place to learn about how the industry is doing 
who may be leading the way. And uh, it's the place to just meet about everyone in the golf over three days and nights. So I guess, you know, without it, there wouldn't be uh, a lot of the new things. It's just learning, and I can just compare it to the and the technology industry, which I work, to the CES event that is always uh, at the beginning of January, where all the new products and all the new trends are there. So, I mean, you, you get the, the, the chance to test some new brands, new merchandise categories, uh, work schedules, I mean, the demo day. So I, I, it's an incredible t- uh, event that has grown big time. Yeah, you start setting up uh, you start setting up your interviews uh, like two weeks before, um, and so you know I, I met with uh, I met with one guy today. Um, I've got uh, you know people to see tomorrow morning, uh, starting about uh, three thirty four o'clock tomorrow afternoon. Um, we uh, we go to a presentation. After that, we go to a a little cocktail party, and after that, we go to a dinner. Um, so, I mean, it's just, you know, tomorrow is like booked from, from the time you get up until we'll come back to the condo and go to bed tomorrow night. And then Thursday, again, I've got appointments in the morning, uh, with some people that want to talk about some different things. And then I want to get some more interviews on video and on tape, uh, to use. And, um, then we're going to take off, uh, we're not sticking around for Friday. We're, we're taking off Friday morning, but, uh, um, it's, it, I'm usually, by the time I leave here, uh, whenever we leave Thursday or Friday, I'm usually pretty exhausted. It's, it's, you, you do so much walking, you do so much talking, and um, it's, it's uh, but, but if you're in the business and you want to get something done, this is the place to do it, Carlos. And with that, we'll wrap up our practice range, and now we'll take our final putts. I'm going to talk about Angela Stanford, who is going to be she signed up to run a marathon in the middle of the LPJ season, her first marathon, actually her first race outside of 5K Turkey Tread. Uh, you take Phil Mickelson, he fasts to reboot. Angela Stanford, she races. And it's a big, bold goal that she talked about out loud in the public for the first time at the Diamond Resorts Tournament of Champions last week. She's going to be running the LA Marathon on March 8th before starting the LPGA's West Coast Swing. So, I mean, she's a all-around uh, sports nut. She said that she plays almost every sport with the exception of soccer, and she's going to try. She recently ran 16 miles on the treadmill to avoid the rain and watch football. So, hey, she just needs six more to finish the the. I mean, 10 more to finish the, the marathon. So we'll see. We'll keep it uh, posted there to see how the 42-year-old Stanford will make on that uh, marathon. I have one more, and I'll leave the other two that were on our on our schedule. And I'm going to say that, you know, a decade after match play debuted in the 2009 NCAA championship, the format continues to spread into the conference championships. And the, the interesting thing about this is that the ACC has decided to incorporate match play into its league championship beginning this spring. The format change was approved last year, goes into effect for, for both the men's and women's ACC championships this year. The championship will now feature 54 holes of stroke play before a cut to the top four teams who move on to match play. So, interestingly, last year's NCAA's women's championship, the fifth decided by match play 
featured an all-ACC final between Duke and Wake Forest. Duke ultimately won, claiming its seventh program championship, but its first in the match play era. So this, Fred, not only serves now as a great practice for the NCAA championship for those, uh, for the players and coaches, but it's going to be a new experience for the expectators, and I can only think that all the other conferences soon will be joining that move. The uh, PGA Tour uh, has a uh, player advisory council. So, you know, in the, the hierarchy, you have the commissioner, of course, Jay Monahan, who oversees the entire tour operations, the, the golf courses, the tournaments, all, you know, the, the television contracts, all things PGA Tour. Then you have the uh, policy board, which is basically the board of directors. And then under, directly underneath that is the Player Advisory Council made up of tour players. And so this year's Tour Player Advisory Council, the members were just named, uh, Ryan Armour, Paul Casey, David Hearn, Harry Higgs. So some names you haven't really heard of, and well, mixed with names you do know, Charlie Hoffman, Billy Horschel, Zach Johnson, Russell Knox, Anirban Lahiri, Peter Malnati, Rory McIlroy, Ryan Palmer, John Rahm, Kevin Streelman, Justin Thomas, and Harold Varner III. So um, then they're going to choose a couple of guys. Uh, they're going to vote somebody in as player director for the PGA Tour Policy Board, and that's going to be between uh, Charlie Hoffman, Peter Manati, or Justin Thomas. And uh, that's going to be elected by February 7th, and then – that person is going to replace Johnson Wagner on that tour policy board or that board of directors. And that's like a a two-year or a three-year term, I'm sorry, uh, for that person. So it's a little bit more work for that guy. But I just want to say, we just wanted to get it out there that the tour does have kind of a hierarchy and tour players do have a say in what goes on and what decisions get made. I'm going to end with it tonight real quick, Carlos. Um, a guy was arrested uh, at a driving range uh, in the Florida. Uh, two guys were hitting balls out on the range, and one guy started stealing balls out of another guy's bag to hit him. And uh, one guy, the, the guy stealing was a younger guy, and then the older guy, didn't, he didn't really appreciate that. And so he went over and complained at the driving range office, and um, then uh, nothing really happened. So the guy came back. And the older guy said, hey, you know, go get his own golf balls and leave mine alone. And um, the guy hauled off and whacked him, you know, knocked him down. The young guy started punching him, knocked him to the ground. And uh, so the police came, of course, they had to arrest the guy. And and, uh, the uh, cops said, no mulligan for this guy. They're going to throw him in a jail. But uh, the uh, moral of the story is watch who you're stealing golf balls from, Carlos, or watch who's stealing your golf balls. You may get knocked out. uh, carefully might get the uh, the Ayland uh, Woods syndrome there, get hit with a nine iron or something. Be <laughs> careful out there, guys. <laughs> Carlos, uh, Ohio out. Golf Journal's out there. Yeah, Ohio Golf Journal's out there. The January edition's good stuff in there. Michigan Golf Journal's available. We put some new travel videos up on uh, Backdown Report TV for, for people to look at and uh, all good stuff. And, uh, Carlos, that's all I got for you for January 21st, 2020. Well, before we close, uh, I had a note here, and I just uncovered 
I think it happened when we were <laughs> I don't know why I missed it, but you mentioned about John Smoltz. I wanted to ask you this. You mentioned that he won the the celebrated pro am title. He defended it at the LPGA right. tournament of champions at the Diamond Resort last weekend. But I don't know if you saw, but it wasn't his play that was getting the attention. And that is because a video of him uh, putting sent social media wild. I don't know if you've seen the video, but that's because he uses a bloodline putter, which is a model that stands up on his own to help the player line up putts. So that video was posted to social media, showed him behind the putt, checking his line before rolling it in. And then, of course, social media went crazy. Many questioning its legality. So, first of all, yes, it is in fact completely legal despite what people were saying on social media. Please, people, just don't be ignorant. Try to find the facts first. Those putters have been used <laughs> by the likes of Vijay Singh and Ernie Els in competition. They're completely legal. And Smalls, uh, I mean, they are completely legal to assist a player in taking a stance or to point out the lane of play only when the putter is placed right next to the ball. And that was said by the USGA. Smoltz says that everybody that he plays with says it's, that's illegal. But hey, no, it's not. So I just wanted to get your take on that. If you saw it, you know, what you thought about it. I did see it. I, I feel like it's kind of a gimmick myself. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's <clears throat> I haven't tried it. I'm sure they're here at the show someplace. I'll have to check it out. Um, I, I tend to, you know, not be too excited about stuff like that. But, uh, um, yeah, I, I, I saw it. I just kind of laughed it off. Um, that, uh, But I'm sure by doing that, they're going to sell a bunch of putters over the next two weeks, I'm sure. Guys are going to see that, and somebody that has to have the latest stuff, the newest thing, they're going to jump on board, and then when they miss four or five putts, they're going to throw it, leave it in the corner in the garage someplace, and they'll never be seen again. But, uh, um, yeah, that's the way this stuff goes. Uh, but somebody probably paid Smoltz a bunch of money to play with that thing um, so they could get it out there. <laughs> Backlanders, that wraps up another week of the Backland Report. Thank you for listening. It's always our pleasure to bring you the latest on the world of golf. Special thanks to our VAG, very important guest of the week, Ryan Ballingy. Don't forget to join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time here on Block Talk Radio. Or if you missed it, check it out on iTunes or tune in also on Roku TV. And if you haven't done so, what are you waiting for? Follow the show on Twitter. Our ID is at Back 9 Report with the number 9 in the middle. My name is Carlos Torres along with Fred Alvader. We wish you to be happy, be blessed, and enjoy the great game. Happy golfing, everybody. Good night, everybody.